everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. Wednesday evening. Amen. Amen. It's truly a great privilege and honor to be here with you all tonight. I love this class and this group. Um, I was here at Calvary Tabernacle during my years at IUPUI and IBC, and then my father and my sister, my sister Jessica, they attend church here, and this is our we're kind of basing out of here temporarily as well while my son um, overcomes some obstacles with the help of the Lord medically over the next several months. And um, and so I am very familiar with Calvary Chapel Young Adults class. It was a great blessing to me during my college years. And uh, I love it. And I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be with you all this evening. I do want to uh, give honor to your leaders, Brother and Sister Hussey. As he said, we are dear friends. They're dear friends of ours, my wife and I. And we're thankful for them. They were over at our house just the other evening we had a great time to fellowship together and just they have been very a great support to us i remember when my wife she was hospitalized at about 25 weeks pregnant and she was there for about uh, five weeks in the hospital before she gave birth and uh we couldn't have any visitors because of covid and so but brother and sister hussey was near christmas they came over and talked to us through the window and visited with us and everything and so it's great to have the body of Christ and such good friends. I don't know if you'll find more Christian people. They're a great example and you're lucky to have them and blessed to have them. I want to give honor to your pastor as well, Brother Carson, and I want a tremendous man of God. And just I'm thankful to be here over the next several months. Thankful to be with you all. I see friends here. I don't want to mention them all. I probably forget some. And some folks of you that I think were in the youth group when I was here, and now you're your young adults. And so it was kind of shocking when I walked in here and I was like, I guess it's been 10 years since I've been in this class, which is kind of hard to believe. Great to be with Brother Herbst, a good friend of mine. We attended Bible college together, and I have great respect for him. But I'm just happy to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Yeah. There's no other place I'd rather be than in his presence. I love him. God has been good to me. He's been faithful to me and to my family. And there is quite, there's just nobody like the Lord. Amen. We could all stand for the reading of the word. I'm a little miscombobulated. We're going to be talking about the necessity of the spirit tonight, I guess, in the curriculum that you are using right now. I think curriculums are a good thing. I think it's good to lay a biblical foundation for our faith and what we believe about apostolic doctrine. And so I appreciate it. And so when they told us, uh, when Brother Hussey invited me to speak to you all, I had no problem uh, uh, continuing in the same path that you all have been in. We we teach series in Barcelona as well, uh, just to lay a good foundation, and because we want to, we want to stick with the apostles' doctrine. Amen. Yeah. We believe in biblical authority, do we not? Yeah. So our faith is founded upon the apostles' doctrine and Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And if we have a well-founded faith, it will carry us through the darkest times of our life, and it will empower us for revival as well. So we're talking about the necessity of the Spirit tonight. It's the first a lesson 
and the class called The Work of the Spirit. You introduced the series already, so is it okay if I go ahead and read the introduction of the series? That way we all know where we're going. Uh, this series, The Work of the Spirit, it will highlight the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and these lessons, they will explore the necessity of the Spirit, what it is meant to be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, and how we can receive victory through the Spirit. And though we as apostolics recognize the importance of being filled with the Holy Ghost, how many of you recognize the importance of being filled with the Spirit of Christ? Amen? Amen. This series will challenge each of us to daily surrender to the work of Spirit in our lives. And this first lesson is the necessity of the Holy Ghost. And I discovered on my way here the necessity of the Holy Ghost. I have never drove through downtown on my way to Calvary Tabernacle, but for some reason our new apartment on the northwest side of Indianapolis, Google took me through downtown. There was an event going on downtown. People were trying to find places to park, and I barely got here. And as I'm thinking about laying on my horn, I made it up once or twice, God forgive me. But as I'm thinking about laying on my horn and talk, yelling at people, my the Holy Ghost checked me. And I needed the Holy Ghost just to get here. Amen. Amen. But we don't just need the Holy Ghost to show the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost about salvation, Amen. to be empowered, to be sanctified, to live a holy life, and to someday spend eternity with Him. I'm not going to start exactly with the text that they have, but we're going to go to the book of Job, chapter 32, verse 8. Job was a contemporary of Abraham. And so you have to understand when this book was written, it was written before the Pentateuch. It was written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, Job was written before the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. But Job had a relationship with God. And this book was inspired by God. And so it was written down for us that we might learn from it. And I find it interesting that Job himself had an understanding of the Spirit of God and the necessity of the Spirit of God, even at this point. Job chapter 32 and verse 8 says, But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. In the Spanish it says, El soplo de omnipotente, which means the breath of the Almighty. And in fact, inspiration, it, it comes from the word breath, and so... The breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. So Job, before the day of Pentecost, before the Pentateuch, any of that was written, Job writes, there is a spirit in man, but you have to understand that the breath of the Almighty God gives him understanding. How many of you know that when we're filled with his spirit, we know that the spirit of truth will teach us all things, the Bible says. Job 33 and 4, the next chapter, says this. And I did not give you this verses. I apologize for whoever's doing production, and you'll have to bear with me tonight. I apologize. I'm going to try to stay with the curriculum, but talking about the Holy Ghost might get this missionary a little bit excited tonight, because I believe everyone needs the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Job 33, verse 4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me, given me life. So Job... From the very beginning of the Bible, Job, it wasn't Job that spoke this, it was his friend, I believe it was Elihu, he said, the spirit of man, uh, the, spirit, the spirit of God hath made us, he gives us understanding, and he gives us life. 
How many of you believe the Holy Ghost is important tonight? Amen? Amen. Amen. We can bow our heads and pray right now. Jesus, I thank you for this group of young adults. I thank you for the fellowship of your spirit. God, I thank you, Lord, that we are gathered here together to edify one another, to ensure that our faith is founded upon the apostles' doctrine, you being the chief cornerstone. We pray, Lord, right now that you would speak to us, Lord. Empower us by your spirit, Lord. Help us to say aside every weight. Every distraction, God, that we might receive from your word tonight, God. Empower us with revival that is ahead of us, Lord. If there's someone that needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost, Lord, I believe that you can fill them tonight, God. Give us faith tonight, God, to take you at your word and to go forward in boldness and faith and to preach this gospel to every creature. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray all these things. The church say amen. 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 You may be seated. So from the very beginning, I find that interesting, don't you? That, that Job, before the Pentateuch, before the day of Pentecost, before the New Testament church, before Christ walked the earth, he had an understanding enough of the Spirit that he knew that the Spirit of God made us, that the Spirit of God gives us life, and that the Spirit of God gives us understanding. Amen? We need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is a necessity in the life of every Christian believer. Aside from the Spirit, there is no life. Aside from the Spirit, there is no true relationship with His Word or with Him. In fact, the Bible says if we have not the Spirit of Christ, then we are none of His. Amen. Because the New Testament writer equated the Spirit of Christ with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit as well. Amen. But the Holy Ghost is essential. I'd like to start with the story tonight. There was a man named George, and he had suffered some crushing news. He had worked at the plant for nearly 20 years, the plant, the factory that he worked at, when he realized that his company was going to be downsizing. It's happening a lot right now, isn't it? And so, but George, once he realized that there was personnel cuts, he started trying to figure out if his seniority would help him keep his job, that he would be able to survive this slowdown in the economy of his occupation that his family depended upon if he would get through it or not, if he would be one of the ones that were in deep cut or if he would be one of the ones that would have the opportunity to stay there in employment. But there he sat in his truck in the company parking lot holding the letter informing him that his position had indeed been eliminated. So he began to wonder what he and his wife Luis would do. He and his wife Luis had grown accustomed to a comfortable lifestyle, but however, from now on, money would be tight. They would be forced to evaluate every purchase and expenditure much more carefully, and they would need to discern better between the needs and the wants that they had. Have you ever, has anyone ever had to do that? Or how many of you are in college right now? I remember when I went to college, I was used to living at home with my family. I was used to if my parents didn't have it, I'd go over to my grandparents and my grandmother would make it for me, you know. And, and so I was used to kind of a comfortable lifestyle. I remember I went to college and I began trying to find different jobs to work. I worked as a valet downtown at the high. Is anyone valet here? I worked at Shapiro's Deli for about two years. Anyone been to Shapiro's? Yeah. You gotta be careful that I gained a lot of weight working there <laughs> with the uh, Rubens and the uh, cannolis and 
yeah. stuffed cabbage and all that stuff. Someone say hallelujah. <laughs> and I talked about Shapiro's when I was in Indianapolis. Everyone knows about it. It's like I preach about the gospel and then I testify about Shapiro. <laughs> but God does not change. Shapiro has changed. Their prices went up quite a bit, but God, <laughs> the gospel is still free. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so... Um, can't hardly afford to go in there anymore. <laughs> He's got three bucks for a cream soda, my goodness. But anyways, I don't want to get too distracted, but here's George and Luis, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to make it. They would have to make some obvious, perhaps temporary adjustments, figuring out what indeed was wants and what indeed was necessities. The vacation that they had planned for that summer would indeed have to be delayed. The funds that they had been saving for a swimming pool in the backyard, they might have to use that saving account to pay for their bills. More meals in, fewer meals out, they would make but they would make it work. But greatly, God quickly opened another door of employment for them in response to George and Luis's faithfulness and diligent prayer. But still that season refined their perspective re regarding what fiscally mattered. You see, in economics, there is a term. It's called necessity goods. Everyone say necessity goods. Necessity you see, necessity goods, they are the last things customers stop buying when their income declines. Perhaps that frappuccino from Starbucks is all of a sudden not so important. Or perhaps, you know, eating out two or three times a week, you know, maybe, maybe we can... Even now, you know, generally necessity goods are divided into eight categories, food, utilities, communication, housing, transportation, medicine, education, and services such as daycare, dry cleaning, and so on. But these are essential parts of the economy that most of our society would choose not to do without. But in the spirit world, there are some spiritual necessity goods as well. There are things that we cannot do without in the spirit. There are things that we don't want to do. You know, perhaps some of our methods we can talk about a little bit. You know, perhaps how we reach the loss. We can, our song selection. Perhaps we can talk about that. I'm thinking for the worship that was here tonight. I don't think we need to change anything. That's not what I'm saying. But perhaps we can, uh, you know, the type of building, you know, the times that we have services. Perhaps we can move on those things a little bit. But, but if it's in the book, we really shouldn't touch it, you know, not one jot or one tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. We really don't want to mess around with what thus saith the Lord. And if there's one thing that is imperative in the life of the New Testament believer, it is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's what gives us new life. It's what changes us. It's what allows us to become adopted sons of God. John would say like this, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. In fact, it's when we're filled with his spirit. It's in that moment that the New Testament writer in a couple different places says that we cry out, Abba, yeah. Father. Amen. It's in that moment that we become his children. It's something powerful to think about. You see, one gift it's one gift that we cannot purchase, but it's a gift that we must have. It's a promise that is free to everyone on the day of Pentecost after they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter said, this promise is for you and to your children, to your children's children, to all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. In other words, this was for everybody. It wasn't just for a select few, but he's not willing that any should perish. But the promise of the Holy Ghost 
is for everybody. It's essential. Being filled with the Spirit is an absolute must to live a victorious life here and be ready for the dawning of a new eternal life. Jesus stressed the necessity of receiving the Holy Ghost. Jesus chose very early in his public ministry to have an off-the-record conversation with Nicodemus in the book of John chapter 3. I find, that, I find it interesting that the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, it was so impacting that it never left him. In fact, we're about to study it a little bit, but you can read later on that after Jesus was dead and buried, Joseph of Arimathea is the one who bought a tomb. But there was another man who came with spices to help anoint and bury the body of the Lord, and it was Nicodemus. It's amazing to think about the conversation that we're about to talk about left an indelible impact upon him. Nicodemus was, in, in John chapter 3, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body among the Jewish culture, and he had significant influence. He was a man of means and wealth. He had taken note of Jesus' teaching and miracles and decided to speak and to, with him and to learn more. However, Nicodemus felt it best to do so under the cloak of darkness so that he would not jeopardize his standing in his society. But the great thing is, it doesn't really matter how you come to the Lord when you come to him. If you seek him, he'll find you where you're at. Amen. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he said, he acknowledges, he acknowledged Jesus' heavenly origin. And he said, no man can do these things that you have done, except that God be with you. You see, little did Nicodemus know that Jesus was indeed God in flesh. But Jesus immediately saw the opportunity of, and he seized upon Nicodemus' limited expression of faith to introduce a critical topic to the human lexicon. Jesus replied, except a man be born again. Everyone say born again. Born again. You see, that's, that's indeed what we're talking about here tonight. And while we're only talking about the aspect of being born again of spirit, we have to be born again of water and of spirit. You may have already talked about baptism, and I'm sure you will in the future, and I'm sure many of you are already aware of that. Uh, but, but tonight we're talking about being born again of spirit. And that's indeed what, what the world needs. It, we must be born again. We must understand that there is a new birth. That's a hope that humanity is looking for, that we don't have to continue as we have always been. That we don't have to be enslaved or bound by our simple nature. It doesn't matter necessarily how we were raised. It doesn't matter what our background was. But we can be set free. We can find spiritual liberty. And we can be empowered to do work in the kingdom of God. But not just that, we can be empowered to live eternity, eternally with the Lord. It's a new birth. It's to become adopted sons of God. And so Jesus, he says, very, very, I say unto you. Except the man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. While the phrase born again is common to us, this was very confusing to Nicodemus. And he said, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? See, this was a completely new concept to Nicodemus. He couldn't quite understand it, but the Lord was not referring to a physical birth, but he was referring to to a spiritual birth. And so, you know, I would like to ask a question today. Why do you believe Jesus chose the image of new birth to describe what happens when we are saved? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Why would he pick that? 
Why, 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 would he, why would he use that terminology? I, I think there are multiple reasons. Anyone want to take a step back? I think there's multiple reasons. I think, I think one reason is that it would show that it didn't matter who you were. This was going to be needed in your life. It didn't matter if you were in the Sanhedrin or if you were a thief next to the Lord on the cross. It didn't matter who you were, that you were going to need something changed in your life. Being born again. It didn't matter what status you were born into. It didn't matter what family you were born into. It didn't matter what condition you were born into. It didn't matter if you were born in the palace or, or, or wherever you were born. You must be born again, is what he said. And so that whatever preconditioned status in life that you had, it would not get you to the kingdom of God. In fact, before John 3, 5, Jesus, before he, he said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, he said, you must be born again to even see the kingdom of God. That's right. So I find it interesting when we try, when Christianity today asks the question, do you really need the Holy Ghost? Do you really need to be born again of the Spirit? I find it very interesting because Jesus says, one, you can't see my kingdom and you can't enter my kingdom unless you be born again of the Spirit. Yeah. See, Jesus' answer is one of the foundational planks of the New Testament. And while being born again of water is defined as water baptism in this New Testament is worthy of, and it's a wonderful subject, right now we're focusing on being born again of the Spirit. Jesus did not say that a believer would be well served by receiving the Spirit. He did not say, hey, it's, a, it's an extra gift, it'll be helpful to you. He didn't say, hey, you know, it might help you in your Christian life. It, it wasn't like a side that you order for a main entree. That's not what he said. He says, if you want to see my kingdom. Yes. In fact, it's so powerful that when you receive my spirit, your perspective of eternity will change. Yeah. Because something in my nature will get in your nature. That's how powerful it was. That it will deliver you in a moment of things that have held you bound for years. It will open your understanding of my word. It'll allow you to see my kingdom. That's what Jesus was, was saying. And not only will you see my kingdom, but you'll be able to enter into my kingdom. Yeah. What a powerful thing. Yeah. What an exciting thing. Because in this world, this is a little sidetrack, but in this world, this world, society is governed by principalities, yeah. spiritual powers in high places and darkness. There is a kingdom of this world, so to speak. And before you receive the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter how liberty, how, 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 how free you think you are from the influences of society. You could put yourself in the shack of the middle of nowhere, but I tell you, your spirit will still be bound by the kingdom of this world. But when you're born into this kingdom, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It, it changes everything about you. It's important. It's essential. He didn't say it was an option, nor did he merely recommend it, but he commanded it in the stark clarity of his words. You must be born again. Everyone say, I must be born again. Say it again, I must be born again. Amen, amen. Receiving the Spirit, everyone say, receiving the Spirit requires faith. And it involves a sign. Amen. Of course, today we have a great advantage over Nicodemus in that 
he had never heard of someone being baptized with the Spirit. But we, on the other hand, we have the testimony of millions of believers who have experienced this wonderful gift, this wonderful act of salvation themselves. And we know they have because as Jesus instructed, we have heard the sound. We can go to the scripture that I had. Do I have another verse with uh, John chapter 3, 5 through 8? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's one or the other. There's no in between. Verse 7 said, Marvel not that I said unto you that you must be born again, for the wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And so Jesus immediately, from the very first time he talked about being baptized with the Spirit, being born again of the Spirit, he mentioned that there was a sound that would come along with it. It's very interesting. Try not to get sidetracked because there's a whole Bible study you could go with. Uh, Isaiah said, For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to my people, and this is the rest wherewith you shall cause the weary to rest. In other words, Isaiah, hundreds of years before, I don't know, but how many years before, when was Isaiah? I mean, was that 700, 700 BC? I mean, that, that that's a long time before Christ walked the earth, seven centuries before, and, and so, eight centuries before, and so. At that moment, he said, with staring lips and another tongue, when he speaks to his people and the rest that the Spirit's going to provide, you're going to hear about. There's going to be a sound that comes with it. And so we are, we have a familiarity with this topic that Nicodemus had not yet had at this time because the Spirit had not yet been given. But there's a sound associated with this infilling of the Spirit that is unique to it and completely confirms it. And by examining the various times in the book of Acts when someone receives the gift of the Holy Ghost for the very first time, we can observe a consistent sign every time that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It is either explicitly stated or it is heavily implied. And so just as they did in the book of Acts chapter 2, every individual that receives the gift of the Holy Ghost will speak in other tongues. Yes. They will speak in a language that they do not know. They will speak in a language that they have never heard before. And coming from the outside... That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it's not crazy to God. It's not, when you study scripture, in fact, as a young man, I thought I was a very analytical person as a young man, and I had to pray for years to receive the Holy Ghost. It took me a while to receive it because I was trying to wrap my intellect around it instead of just having faith and the operative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when I fully surrendered myself to him, I remember the time that I spoke in a heavenly language, a language I had never known before. I remember God opening the eyes of my soul, if you will, and having a deeper understanding of his word and being empowered to live a holy life for him as a young man. But coming from the outside, that, that, that sounds a little bit crazy. But when you study scripture, just a little rabbit trail, it does not have to make sense for us to obey it. God is God and we are not. His ways are above our ways. But thankfully, most things in his word are made clearly understood to us. And there is a reason, there is a rhyme to why God does the things he does. And you might not understand it in the moment, but either through the passing of time or through the study of his word, he'll reveal more of his nature to you, and you'll have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the operation of the things of the Spirit. Yeah. Real quickly. 
I'm gonna step away from the lesson real quick because Brother Hussey gave me permission to, to make it my own is what he said. He said, Pastor Carson said that we can make these lessons our own, so we have permission to do this. But if I could take you to James 1.18. James says this, of his own will, he begot us with the word of truth. Everywhere in scripture, you cannot separate from the spirit from the word of God. In fact, it's used synonymously through scripture. And why is that? Because if God declares something with his word, it is as certain as the fact that he exists. If he declares it, you can take it to the bank. It's as sure as the fact that he exists. So his word and his spirit, who he is, you, you cannot divorce the two from each other. And so we are born of God of the spirit, but you can also say of his own will, he begot us with the word of truth. John, James chapter 1, 18. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your souls. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was culminated in the New Testament. But this idea of the word of God at the new birth experience being engrafted into our souls... It was something that was promised and prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, by Jeremiah, by Ezekiel. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 23, he said this. He said, I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which he had profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you. He said, I will be sanctified in you before their eyes. In other words, something is going to happen inside God's people and the world will not be able to deny it. And my name will be sanctified. Verse 24, for I will take you from among the heathen, from every nation, and gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land, and then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. What, what, what I, I, Ezekiel was talking about here, he was talking about what, what would happen through the means of baptism and of water. And he says, from all your filthiness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. But then verse 26 of this, he says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. Thank God for that. Thank God that he's able to wash away all of our filthy past. Thank God he's able to take away the stubbornness of our heart. And it doesn't matter how hard-headed you are. He can make you into a meek and a humble person. He can make you someone in his image. Amen. A new heart also I will give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. Everyone say, my spirit. My, my spirit. spirit. So you have the Ancient of Days. You have Jehovah God saying, I will put my spirit within you. He's not saying, I'm going to put another spirit in you. That's not what he says. He said, I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall be my judgment and do them. So when we talk about the essentiality of the Holy Spirit, it's important to understand it's not someone different from Jehovah. It's not someone different from Jesus. In fact, it is the spirit of Christ. And it is the same spirit that spoke the worlds into existence. Amen. Yes. Amen. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. Jeremiah 31, who would say the same thing. Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. It will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall teach no man every more of their neighbor 
And every man is brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. That's the powerful thing about the Holy Spirit. It gives you an understanding of who he is. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, they shall all know me, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. And then James equates this with the engrafted word of God. So, so Jeremiah Ezekiel says that he'll write his law. He'll write his word in the inward parts of our lives. But then James says this. He equates it with the engrafted word of God. Does anyone know what grafting is? The, in Spain, where my wife and I, where we work out there, they have many olive orchards. Many olive orchards. In fact, I think it's either the largest export of olives or olive oil. It's one or the other. And then it's right up there with Italy and Turkey and Israel. But it's number one, either olive oil or olives themselves. So you have olives that are hundreds of years old, not a century old, I mean, a millennium old. And so some of these olive trees, it's illegal to cut them down. So if you buy a pot of land, you want to cut the olive tree down, sometimes you have to get permission to do it. Don't know all the intricacies of it, but there's an interesting thing about olives. You can tell if an olive tree, this is, this is the same thing with most plants, with most agriculture. You can tell if an olive tree is a wild olive tree or if it has been groomed and cultivated by man. Because if it's a wild olive tree, it'll taste sour, taste bitter, won't have a good taste, it won't be good for much. Maybe it's some old olive oil, but people won't want to eat it the whole of itself. But if it's been cultivated by the master, if it's been cult cultivated by by a farmer or the keeper of an orchard for perhaps decades, perhaps centuries, perhaps a millennium, then it'll have a, a taste that has been bred into it, if you will, a taste that has been grafted into it. How do they do that? What farmers do is they'll find an olive tree that is producing sour or bitter fruit, fruit that is not good for anything. And then they'll find a healthy olive tree. I mean, they'll find a, an olive tree that produces a good and a tasteful and a sweet olive, an olive that that, that people want to buy, and all of that people want to get a hold of, a, a, a fruit that is good for humanity. And they'll, they'll look for that type of tree, and they'll, they'll take a branch, a main branch from the good olive tree, and they will cut it off. It's much like the Lord. He was, he, he was cut from humanity in a sense. He was crucified for our sins, amen? And they, they will take the branch of the good olive tree, and what they will do is they will make a wound in the bitter olive tree, the bad olive tree, if you will. And they will graft what they do, the grafting process, well, they will tie that branch from the good olive tree and they will put it in the wound that they had cut into the bad olive tree and they will bind it together and they will make sure it's taken well care of and they'll cultivate it and they'll do everything they can to make sure the tree doesn't get insects or pests into it. They'll, 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 they'll keep an eye on it so much so that at some point that branch becomes grafted the, the branch from the good tree becomes grafted into the bad olive tree. Am I making sense right now? I don't know if I'm communicating this clearly. Hopefully you can visualize this in your mind. I should have brought pictures. I'm sure apologize about that. And so, and from that time on, the fruit that that tree begins to produce is different. The fruit no longer tastes like the old olive tree, but now the fruit tastes like the good olive tree. And so this was a concept you can study in history. The grafting process was known to the Jews. It was known to the Mediterranean world. They used it back then in vineyards and olive trees and different things. And so when James says, receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, what he was referring to was this. That when you're born again of water and of spirit, when God fills you with his spirit, just like Jeremiah said, just like Ezekiel said, he will write his word and he will write his law upon your hearts. And all of a sudden, it's no longer what you think is best. 
All of a sudden, it's no longer what your conscience tells you you should do, but it's what his spirit has declared in his word and now what is written upon your heart. And it changes the fruit that you bore before. And all of a sudden, you don't have to bear the works of the flesh anymore, but now you can bear the fruit of the spirit. It's a powerful thing, church. It's the engrafted word of God. You want to say the Holy Ghost is essential. The Holy Ghost is essential. We wrap up the clock, so we're done. Can I have five minutes? Five minutes is okay. It's essential. You must be born again. It requires faith, and it involves a sign. You can look in the book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Everyone that received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in other tongues. They were Jews gathered from all around the world, 120 in the upper room. They all spoke in another language. They said, what meaneth this? And Peter said, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. I will brought my spirit upon all flesh in the last days, thus saith the Lord. And, and, and so they equated being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And you say, well, that was on the day of Pentecost. No, it just wasn't on the day of Pentecost. It happened when the Samaritans were filled with the Holy Ghost too, who were people who were mixed between Gentiles and Jews. When they received the Holy Ghost in, the, in, in Acts chapter 8, it doesn't say that they spoke in tongues. And sometimes people who are not oneness Pentecost or apostolic, they'll ask you about that. And that's an important question to answer. It's okay to question things in your faith a little bit, because when you question it, you'll seek it out. You'll find the answer. You'll become a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but studies the scripture. And, and that's a good thing. But, but Acts chapter 8, you can read that when Philip went there to preach the gospel, that there was many signs that took place. People were healed. They were delivered of demons. They, they, were, they, they, were filled, they were delivered of demons. They were delivered of addictions. They were healed of all kinds of diseases. God was doing miraculous things. But the Bible says none of them had yet received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he had all these signs taking place, but none of them had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then Peter and John came and prayed for them. And when they laid hands upon them, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and that there was something that took place that was so visible to everyone that Simon the sorcerer said, let me buy this power from you. And Peter said, let your money perish with you. But besides all of that, there was something that took place. So there, it's heavily implied that they spoke in other tongues. So when you say uh, the Jews, when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in other tongues. Acts chapter 8, there was a sign that took place that wasn't healing, that wasn't deliverance. It was a visible sign to everyone. When they received the Holy Ghost, Acts chapter 10, when God poured out his spirit upon the Gentiles, the Bible says, Peter says, who can forbid water? For they have received the Holy Ghost as well as me, for we have heard them speak with new tongues. Amen. You can read it. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 19. The disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, uh, Paul comes to them and says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we know not whether there be any Holy Ghost. And, and he said, well, unto what baptism were you baptized? And, and, and they said, well, we were baptized unto John's baptism. But Paul says, well, uh, that's good. John baptized the baptism of repentance. But there is another who will baptize you with fire. And he says, and he says that they would agree. They were all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sins. And that when Paul laid their hands, laid hands upon them, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they spoke with other tongues. Amen. And so we ask ourselves, why, why, why is this? Why is this so important? Why is this so essential? And I'm wrapping up this, and my prayer is this today. Is one, is that you understand the essentiality of the Holy Ghost, that when you leave here, you can defend it, that you can believe with it, that, that, that you can convey the essentiality of the Holy Ghost, that you can testify of what he has done in your life. And if you haven't yet received the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and that by hearing this word today, you might have faith to receive the Holy Ghost for yourself in your life, because it will change your life, it will change the fruit you bear, and it will change everything about the future of your family. And God does all things well. And I'm going fast. I promise you, I'm wrapping up right now. But the amazing thing about this is, I, well, as a young man, I always wonder, why, why, why do we speak in tongues? 
And even after I spoke in tongues myself, I didn't understand it. Like, why is it important? But Romans chapter 8, and, and God gave this to me as a young man, and I've heard people preach about it too, so I can't take credit for it. There's nothing new under the sun. In fact, everything I share with you today is probably someone's preached it before, and it's probably written some in a book somewhere. So give credit to who credit is due. God bless them. <laughs> you know, I, I, none of this is my own thoughts. It's from the Bible, and it's from people who have shared with me, and we have to freely give as we have freely received. But, but Romans chapter 8, we can go there very quickly. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In fact, we're going to go above that. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grow with our own ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of the body. And you can read in this chapter, Roman, but Paul says that all creation is yearning and groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. And verse 24, it says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for him, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And this is what I want to focus on. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought. Now I want you to understand that word infirmity, this doesn't mean physical ailment. That's not exactly what it means. It can be used that way. In the Spanish it says, the manera of the Espíritu nos ayuda en nuestra debilidad. <laughs> what that means is, and likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's what that word infirmity means in that, that particular context. It helps us in our weakness. For we know not what we should pray as we ought. Have you ever faced that in your life? Where you said, I don't know... The obstacle that I'm facing right now, I don't even know the answer that I need. In fact, I don't know how to get through this. But, but, but I know that the Spirit can help me in my weakness. In fact, when you come to God for the very first time and you don't know what to deal with the guilt of your past, you don't know what to do with your addictions, you don't know what to do with the slavery of the mentality of the filthiness of the society, and you come to God and you don't even have the words to know what to ask for, you can take it to the faith of the Spirit will help you with your weakness. And it doesn't matter how in-depth your vocabulary is, but Paul says it like this, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts, he knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The miracle about that church is that when God fills you with his Spirit, it doesn't matter from that point on anything that you face in life, you might not know how to pray about it, but the Holy Ghost will come and he will pray through you. And when the Holy Ghost speaks, when the word of God goes forth, it can never return void, but always accomplishes to that which it is sent. Amen. We can all stand right now. One more thing. One more thing. I read this from a book. I did not study this out myself. I had to read it for ordination recently. But it opened my eyes to something. I've conveyed it every time I've taught about Pentecost, every time I've taught about the Holy Ghost. I've tried to convey this. The word Abba is used three places in the Bible. Can you put those scriptures up, whoever's doing protection? The word Abba is used in three places in the scripture. One is the Lord when he's in Gethsemane, and he's crucifying his flesh. 
because he's about to accomplish something in the spirit of all humanity. He's on his way to Calvary. And he cries out to the Lord. He says, I'm a father. All things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou will be done. That word Abba, it was, it was a familiar word. It was like daddy in Aramaic. That's what it meant. So the Lord in his flesh, the man Christ, was crying out to his own spirit. He says, Abba, which meant father, if you can take this cup from me, let it be. But he killed his flesh that day. He went to Calvary. And because of that, we can have new life. How many of you are thankful for that? Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the word Abba is used again. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So when you're filled with the spirit, something happens in you to where you can call on the Father the same way that the man Christ Jesus did. Now all of a sudden you come into a covenant relationship with him when you're an adopted child of God. Galatians 4, 6, that Abba's you were used for the first and third time. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of who? What's it say? The spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba right there, that word cry right there in the Greek, I can't pronounce it right. I didn't do well in Sister Mass class in IBC. Do better in Bible college than I did, hopefully. Do, do what Brother Kirk's did. I rocked out Bible college. But the word, that word cry means, uh, in the Greek, I think it's krasl or something like that. I can't say it. I speak Spanish, but Greek's Latin to me. I don't know it. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> but, but, but the word krasl, what it means, it means like a spontaneous cry. In, in, in one concept, if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, it means an inarticulate cry. And then, so you read it in a place in the scripture, and it meant someone that was crying out. So when you receive the spirit of adoption, there's this inarticulate cry that burst forth and the same spirit that took Christ to his cross the same spirit that loosed him from the pains of death is the same spirit that comes into you and gives you new life and you can't help but let it out the sound can't help but escape and all of a sudden your spirit bears witness with his spirit and it makes intercession on your behalf and literally what is happening right there is your being is calling out to your creator and it's crying out Abba Father. The Holy Ghost. Everyone say it's important. It's important. It's necessary. If we have not the Spirit of Christ, we are none of this. You must be born to get a water of spirit to see his kingdom or to enter his kingdom. Amen. We can all raise our hands right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us tonight, God. I thank you for allowing us to be gathered together in this place right now. And I ask right now, let faith be imparted to every soul that is...